worship on today includes one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. We heard it for our words of assurance. It's Philippians 4, verse 13, which says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Perhaps you've heard it before. There's a number of, uh, so I was kind of looking through, there's a number of uh, Olympic gold medalists. There's a number of championship athletes from just about every major sport um, and a large number of celebrities that have Philippians 4.13 tattooed on them somewhere and enlist Philippians 4.13 as their favorite verse, an inspiring verse for them. It's also been printed on countless graduation cards and, and tweeted millions of times. Um, and when I was looking through the different tweets, most of them were accompanying a, a graduation photo or a video from an athlete of a really impressive play that they did. Which is interesting, because within those contexts, when we read this verse, we might think that it seems to convey the message that I can achieve all anything I desire through him who strengthens me. It seems to be more about achievement, the graduations, the, the good sports plays and the statistics, um, Olympic gold medals and championships. But Paul wrote this while he was in chains in jail. Now, as a side note, right, I'm not criticizing anyone who has this tattooed on it. Um, but my hope is that when they're using this, when, when our fellow brothers and sisters are using this verse, is that we mean it in the way that God had Paul write it. Not necessarily for our own personal achievement, but for what we're getting, going to get to discuss going on today. Because as great of a promise as it would be for God to tell us that we can achieve all things we want through Christ... What Paul's encouragement here in this verse is actually saying is so much greater than that. So much greater than just the mere ability to achieve things. One of the big things that Paul's talking about, and we're going to explore today, it's going to be our big idea for this, this morning, is that God strengthens us to face all situations. If we're facing a hard time, he strengthens us to persevere and to keep hold of the thing that matters most. If we're facing abundance, which doesn't really seem like something that would be a or a bad thing or something that none of us don't want to face. But if we're facing abundance, he strengthens us to resist the temptations of excess and to continue to strive after the thing that matters the most. Because God's reward is infinitely greater than anything that money could buy or any achievement that we could attain here on earth. Therefore, if God strengthens us to face all situations and to keep hold of that which matters most, we are therefore called to do all things through him. Very general statement. All things, all things is a lot of things, right? We're, we could come to church every Sunday for the rest of your lives and we would not be able to talk about every single thing that God strengthens you to face. It's a lot. But, so for this morning, let's consider those situations that the Philippian church, the, the context with which Paul wrote this, the people he wrote it to, uh, were facing. Because leading up to this famous statement in verse 13, Paul addresses three challenges that the Philippians were facing. And he encourages them to face these challenges through God's strength and through his design. And, and real generally, these will be our three points for today, facing conflict facing anxiety over the situation that we're in, and facing the brokenness that we see all around us in the world. Hmm. All right, so as we consider this, I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 2 through 13 today. And as you're turning there, or if you would like to follow up along the screen, be thinking about that 
that statement that when God is saying, when Paul is writing, I can do all things, he's not only saying I can achieve, he's not limiting it to, to merely that, but it is far, far greater of an encouragement. What does that mean in the verses that we read? So here we go. Starting in verse 2. Paul writes this. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintiki. I have no idea how to say it, but we'll go with that. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we dig into your word, as we continue to to worship you and encounter your presence, may you send us your Holy Spirit. Continue to, to bless us with his presence, his power, his wisdom and discernment. May you write these words in our hearts and our minds that we may know them deeply and intimately and that we may receive the encouragement that you have for us. Lord, as we get to study this morning, as I get to preach, Lord, may none of these words said be for our glory, for my glory, Lord, but only for yours. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first general point that Paul addresses here is that we are called to face conflict through the Lord. So look with me in verse 2, chapter 4, starting in verse 2. He says this, I entreat, entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintiki. Well, they're in disagreement. And since it got reported to Paul, remember Paul's off in prison in a ways away and they sent a messenger to him. If it was important enough for Paul to hear about this, this probably wasn't just something simple, um, a simple disagreement, a simple difference in, in, in preference. And it probably was a little bit less than a criminal offense or, or breaking breaking God's law. said that twice. Um, otherwise, Paul would have called him out on it. He does it in letters all the time. If somebody's breaking God's law, he says, dude, stop it. So probably wasn't that severe. So we've kind of got two, two extremes that we're avoiding here. So I'm generalizing this as a conflict. You have two people within the church who, for whatever reason, aren't able to agree. They aren't getting along. It's big enough that Paul needs to hear about it and needs to write to them. But it's small enough that it's not a legal matter yet. So, conflict of opinions, conflict of interests, something like that. And so Paul gives them this advice, agree in the Lord. I don't know about you, but if anybody told me to agree in the Lord when I was really angry at somebody, I would not be very happy. Those are probably the last words. I'm 
can't get along with this person. I want nothing to do with this person. I can't talk to them. I'm so angry. And somebody comes up to us and just says, why don't you just agree in the Lord? Yeah, yeah. I have some, some urges for, for maybe retaliation of some type or, or, or thing. Um, have to restrain those. But then Paul goes on in verse 3. So here's what he's describing. He says, yes, I also ask you, true companion, to help these women women who had labored side by side faithfully for the sake of the gospel with Paul, with Clement, with others, and to remind them that their names are written in the book of life. So to put it simply, Paul's saying this, he's saying, okay, ladies, and I don't mean this to be directed at ladies, this is good for men who are in conflict because that happens all the time too. For any of us, okay, brothers and sisters in Christ, look at the big picture. I understand that you have things going on. I understand you're in disagreement. I understand that the two of you probably are having a hard time working together right now. But for the sake of the gospel, look at the big picture. You are both called, as we all are called, first and foremost to the witness of the gospel of Christ. This means, as the commentator Gordon Fee writes, being called to the witness of the gospel of Christ is such that we should be subordinating our personal agendas to the larger agenda of the gospel, humbling and sacrificial giving of oneself for the sake of others. In their personal conflict, these followers of God were not only affecting each other's ability to do work and to do the work of their calling, but everyone else as well. Because look at that, they had been intimately involved in the work of the gospel of the church of philippi they'd worked alongside paul they worked alongside this guy clement whoever this true companion person is they worked alongside the entire community in working towards the gospel of christ and evidently there had been pretty good fruit philippian the church in philippi is a really healthy church in the grand scheme of things they're doing good things and paul's saying okay i know you're in disagreement but Part of following Christ, part of that calling to the gospel is to realize that that is far more important than any squabble you could be having together, any disagreement. And so I am calling you as followers of Christ to follow his example, as we talked about back in chapter 2, in his example of humility. Christ saw fit to humble himself, to give up himself, to, to not win every single argument with every single person, but merely to point out the love of God to each and every person. And he's calling us to do the same. So when we find ourselves in conflict to say, what's more important here? Whether I'm right or whether the gospel is the thing being promoted here. A month ago, which is hard to believe, shortly after the death of Kobe Bryant and everyone on the helicopter, there was a... Um, there was announced a person on, on ESPN by the name of Jay Williams, and he, he said this uh, in response to everything that had happened. He said, today's just a really, today's a tough day, a rough day. Today's a hard day. And I hope that everybody at home, that you give that person next to you, whatever thing you have wrong in your life with them, this might be big or small, let that go. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters, man. This is about life and being precious with every we have. Because from somebody who knows who it almost happened to, like that man, it's just over and it's done like that. Jay was pointing to a really good insight here. The mission that 
we're taking this a little bit different direction here in the church, but the mission that we're called to is far greater than any conflict that we may have with each other. And the time that we get here on earth is, is far too short in comparison with eternal life to get hung up on interpersonal conflicts. Compared to the eternal life for the tens of thousands of millions of however long years, eternity that we get to spend in heaven with Christ, our years here on earth are so short in comparison. It is not worth getting hung up on interpersonal conflicts, on getting hung up on feuds. I've been a part of, I've interacted with churches in which there have been feuds that have gone on for 20 or 30 years to the point where you have now have grandchildren who don't know what the feud is about, but yet they know they don't like that family. When we're angry with somebody, when we're in that conflict, when it's a, a difference of opinion, a difference of interest, a difference of personal agenda, man, ask our, we need to ask ourselves that question. If this person was gone soon, tomorrow, the next instant, would this conflict really matter? Is this conflict inhibiting us from being able to work together for the gospel of Christ? Because that's what's most important. That's what matters in the end the love of Jesus Christ to everyone that we encounter. And is this conflict, is this disagreement, is this preventing that? Because if it is, man, it's not worth it. Well, obviously don't hear what I'm not saying here. Right? If there's something that, that has broken the law, if, especially if there's something that has been done that has broken God's law, that is not just a simple conflict or a simple disagreement. That's far more. That's something that there is a, a way that God tells us to deal with it. But in the terms of just not liking each other and refusing to talk with each other, refusing to work with each other, man, we can do a whole lot better than that. We ascribe to something that's whole, so much bigger than that. We are called to humility, just as Christ was humble. To self-sacrificial giving of oneself for the sake of others, just as Christ saw fit to give himself up for our sake. We are called to face any situation through God because God is the one who strengthens us to face these situations. When there is conflict, when we are roiled and riled up, he strengthens us to be able to be humble and to not have to be right, to not have to get our way and to look at the thing that is the most important, that is the gospel, that is the love of Jesus being told and proclaimed to the world around us and to move forward in that first and foremost. And the next situation that Paul talks about and talks with the Philippian church on is that we are called to face our anxiety through the Lord. So first we talked on conflict, now we're talking on anxiety. So if you look with me in the end of verse 5 into verse 6, Paul writes this. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Now if we took this as a command, do not be anxious. It's impossible. Right? There's that whole, that whole exercise, well, sure, you can, get, you can be cured of your disease, just don't think about an elephant for the next 24 hours. Of course you're going to think about that. You cannot just say, oh, I am not going to be anxious and turn that flip off. That's not how our bodies work. That's not how God created us. But what God, Paul is meaning this then is not as a command. It's an imperative. He's saying you should do this, but he's saying this as encouragement. He's saying we are going to face anxiety. He's saying there is things in this world that will cause stress, that will cause worry, that will cause anxiety. But 
the Lord is at hand. So when you are anxious, as he goes on to write in this verse, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He's saying in this situation to the church in Philippi, when you are anxious, when you're facing anxiety, unknowns, uncertainties, and stress and worries, bring it in prayer and in supplication with thanksgiving, which is an interesting way of saying this. He's saying instead of focusing on this anxiety, on this worry of what might happen, what could be happening, what's about to happen per se, all of the time and the energy and the focus that you have on this, take that moment, take that time, take that energy and lift this up to God in prayer and in supplication also counting all of the things that he is already taking care of that you don't have to worry about. Now, I'm not saying this is a, a solution to anxiety, right? I'm not saying that do this and you will never be anxious again. I've heard people preach that. That's from the many people I've interacted with. I know that's not how that works, right? But this is... This is that comfort that God can give that when we have this anxiety, when there's nothing that we can do about it, we turn to a God who can do something about it, who is doing something about it. And not only that, but he is taking care of so many other things in our lives. There was, I saw a friend write a joke on, on, some, on, uh, on social media that said, uh, I don't care about your zodiac sign. Tell me which uh, anxiety and depression meds you're on and then we'll talk. Meaning to say that, and, and reflecting some of the trends in the world, that general anxiety disorder and depression are so prevalent in our society now that it seems like just about everybody is struggling with this. And so an advice like this from 2,000 years ago, man, what good is this? What, there's so many dangers and things that our world is facing that they could never know about. Well, just for a second, let's take the context that this was written to. Paul's writing this to a church that has zero resources. They are dirt poor. They are struggling to find food and shelter and clothing for the next day. They're scraping together what they could to support Paul, and it was more than what he could. He thought they should give, and he said, you guys were too generous. Thank you, but you have needs yourself that you're unable to meet. Not only that, but they're worshiping illegal. They are illegally Christians. So every day around the corner, they do not know whether they are about to be arrested and executed for being a Christian. Every day. And he says to them, rejoice in the Lord. When you are anxious, know and be comforted that the Lord is at hand. Bring those anxieties that you have to him. Bring those concerns, and instead of spending all of your time and your worry and your effort and your resources on focusing on something that you're not able to change, something that you can't have any control over, take that time to bring that to the Lord and to do it with thanksgiving, which is a bit weird, but the practice, this is a spiritual discipline that he's saying here, to take time to count all the things that the Lord has already taken care of. And using that as a reassurance that, yes, this thing is really stressful, what we're facing, what is right ahead of us, what might be right ahead of us, what the, the unknown perhaps, but yet God is still taking care of everything. In fact, he is taking care of the ultimate thing, first and foremost.
And the result of that, as he says, is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Which, notice something here. He's not saying it will guard your lives. He's writing to a church that is facing persecution and possible execution at any given moment. He's not saying God will protect you and keep you alive. And he's not saying that God will give you wealth and abundance. He'll make your life easy. But he is saying God will do that which matters most. He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your names will be written in the book of life and nobody can erase them. And so that though there are things and so many things that are causing anxiety to this church and these people in Philippi throughout their lives, they can take comfort in that which matters the most, that when the end comes, however it would come to them, whatever may happen to them here in this life, they are taken care of eternally, forever and ever. Amen. Paul says that God strengthens us to face any situation, to face conflict when we really do not want to talk to the person, people, people group, whatever it may be, to give us the strength to overcome ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And we are also called to face anxiety through the Lord, that which is worrying us the most, that which is out of our control to be able to handle to say that God is in control. That's not going to necessarily get rid of our anxiety, but it does give us a place to put it and to direct it. And he also calls us to face brokenness through the Lord. We are called to face the brokenness. This is the next section that he writes in. If you look with me in verses 8 and 9, Paul writes this. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you always in the face of the brokenness of the world. Because we can do this too. Walk outside the doors, turn on your cell phone, do whatever. We can see so many effects of the brokenness of the world. Famine, the locust plague in Africa, the coronavirus seemingly spreading without containment, the fires that were in Australia that list goes on and on and on and on and on. We are constantly faced with the brokenness of the world, the political division that we're going through through the cycle in which will only seem get worse um, and who knows if it'll end. There's so much brokenness in this world but in a similar vein with how he treats that which we are anxious about. Instead of spending our time focusing on that, spending all of our time and energy looking only at the brokenness and the darkness and what is wrong with the world, he says Take that time and energy, not to ignore that there's brokenness, but to appreciate the glory and the goodness of our Creator. Take that time and that focus and that energy to look at what is true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, if that situation is so ridiculously broken... Is there anything worthy of praise? Focus on that. Think about these things. Practice the disciplines that Paul gave them. The discipline of turning to God in prayer. And right, this isn't something that's easy. This isn't something that you're just going to flip a switch and it's going to happen automatically, especially if, if we've gotten into this um, practice and, and of 
looking at brokenness, I notice in the mornings when I wake up, if the first thing I do is look at this, my cell phone and the news, my rest of my day is pretty much trash. Because I'm now my, my, my thoughts are oriented first and foremost through everything that's going wrong in the world that I've just been looking through to start my day off. That's me personally. I'm not saying that this is something for you, but what Paul is then saying is instead of t- taking that time and that focus and that energy to look at all of these things that are broken, take your energy first and foremost to look at the things that God is doing, to look at his glory, to look at anything that is worthy of praise, because if there's anything worthy of praise, you can be sure that it is God's work here and of this world. And practice that. And I can guarantee you this, right? I don't like to make often guarantees, but as you work on that, if you get to that point, if you continue to do this day by day, continuing to remind yourself, you'll get better at it, one, right? You'll find more and more. You'll realize, aha, I'm spending all of my focus on this. I could be changing this, could be lifting this up in prayer. That will become the best part of the day. The best part of the day will be that time when you, when you stop yourself and you think, wait a second. Let's take this to God. Not at first. At first it's going to be really hard. It's going to be a chore. <laughs> it's not going to be fun. It's going to feel really fake. That's how it works, right? You're not good at something the first instant you do something. You have to practice it. That's why Paul says practice it. But as you continue, as you practice, as you grow, and as you strengthen it, as you, you dig in deeper into it, I can guarantee you it will become the best part of your day. So we get to our verse in 4.13. Paul writes that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But right before that, in verses 11 and 12, he writes this. He says, not that I'm speaking of being need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's saying, I'm not, not only can I achieve great things through Christ, but in those times when life is awful, when I am down in the dumps, when I am literally in jail, in chains, it's cold, it's dark, it's damp, I'm not getting food, rats are my friends. I can be content. Because God strengthens me to face every situation. And to know and take hold of and to seek first and foremost that which matters the most. That is the eternal life that he has given us. The word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who went to the ultimate place of desperation. In death. On the cross. Taking the weight of all of our sins upon him. The wrath of God upon him. Not just the wrath of jailers, the wrath of, of people who used to be close friends, the wrath of strangers, the wrath of whatever critics may be coming against you. No, God, Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. So that we might share life in him. We might have eternal life through him. And in that eternal life that we may be strengthened that even in those times of extreme need, when we are wracked by anxieties and worries and stress, just as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that we can be strengthened by God. And even in those times when things are going great in abundance, 
when our jobs are flourishing, our, our paycheck is more than what we need, when we can afford to splurge, that even in that we can face that and keep hold of that which matters the most. Not to lose ourselves in our own abilities or achievements or, or that which we've been given, but to take it and to thank, give it with thanksgiving and use it for the work of the gospel. Whatever way that may be. Because God strengthens us to face all situations, good and bad. And in him, we find our hope. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, hmm. Well, Lord, you tell us that you strengthen us to face every situation. You tell us that just as you sought humility in its greatest extent, so you will also strengthen us to do the same. Therefore, Lord, when we face conflict, when we face all of the stresses and worries and anxiety that this world has to offer, when we face the brokenness that never seems to end, help us, remind us, bring us to you. Help us to enjoy it, Lord. Help us to find find. Lord, just give it to us. Give us that peace that you promise. If we are to do this, if you help us to do this, then Lord, give us that peace because we so longingly desire it. Help us enjoy and to learn the joy of contentment and to know how you have strengthened us. Let us hear it. Let us see it. Let us feel it. Let us perceive it and let us know it within our bones, within our hearts and our souls that you have strengthened us to face whatever situations we are in. And Father, we pray first and foremost, therefore, may your gospel go out to the ends of the world. May those who haven't heard it yet hear it. May those who have heard it and are wrestling with it or have rejected, Lord, may you work in their hearts. May you strike deeply into them that they may know your love and, Lord, that we may enjoy eternal life with them. For that's our desire and we know it's yours as well. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.